You may be seated, and would you please turn to the book of Habakkuk. Not a very familiar book to a lot of people. It's in the Old Testament, if you know where that is. If you don't have a Bible, we invite you to take one of the black Bibles that should be in one of the seats in front of you. And you, If you don't have a Bible, we'd invite you to take it and keep it, put your name in it, and use it. But it's in Habakkuk. It's towards the end of the Old Testament. If you need the use of the table of contents, do it without guilt. And look, look at the table of contents, Nahum, Jonah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, three chapters. We started it last week, and we're going to talk more about it. We're going to see this theme of pain to praise, but let's, I want to begin with some questions to you. What type of burdens are you carrying into the service this morning? What pain has entered your life that has driven you on your knees or even on your face before God? Or at least it should drive you to the Lord. And I pray will drive you to the Lord today. Is leading you to do something that this, song, this book does, and that is lament. I'm going to say what that means again this morning. In, in short, it is a desperate cry to God, help me, give me mercy, and it's often accompanied by questions. God, why are you doing this, and how long are you going to allow this to happen? I know there's pain in this room. There always is in this world. It could be the pain of ongoing, unexplained health trials. Or the pain of ongoing, explained health trials, but never-ending. Or the pain of watching someone you love so dearly die a slow death. Or the pain of wanting children, but being unable to. The pain of... Children leaving Christianity or the faith or Jesus. And there's nothing you can do about it. The pain of rebellious children in the home that are just not submitting to authority and you're so concerned for them. Or parents in the home that are not making sense and you so are struggling to understand them. God or the pain of having a husband who doesn't lead spiritually and doesn't seem to have a heart for the Lord, or the pain of an ongoing, that's ongoing in your life because of some horrific tragedy or abuse that took place when you were young and you just have not gotten over it, that pain. Or it might be the pain of an overwhelming season that just never lets up. Or could it be the pain of chronic pain that it hurts and it hurts and it just doesn't stop hurting. Or the pain of spiritual abuse from a church in the past that hurts you and impacts your view of God. Or the pain of an abandoned spouse and the ongoing consequences of that, of a strained and disastrous relationship. Or the pain of poverty or financial disaster or difficulty that just never lets up in your life or the pain of being falsely accused 
and no one believes you, or at least the most important people in this do not believe you, could be the pain of deep loneliness, the pain from your own sin, and the consequences of sin that you committed in the past that's still haunting you, the pain of shame and guilt, the pain of someone close to you making decisions that are just terrible and are wrecking their lives, and the pain of lost love and heartbreak, or the pain of feeling like you're a major failure, the pain of wanting to be married but finding yourself still single, the pain of not being loved and listened to by people that you so desperately wish they did, or the pain of depression or despondency, the pain of deep regrets, the pain of being less accepted in people's eyes than other people are, and you just feel so sad and belittled by that, or the pain of being betrayed by someone who you thought loved you, but has betrayed you. There's a lot of pain. I didn't make those up. I've been a pastor long enough, and I've been a pastor here long enough to know that every one of those things are real situations. For me, it was the pain of seeing our church first, our church, my first church in Minnesota, struggling financially so much so, and without a building, and we were t- getting thrown out of our place we were renting because they were tearing it down to build something new, that we faced the question in this little congregation, are we even going to make it our job? What's next in my life? What is God going to do? Yet I looked around and I saw in this little town called Wyoming, Minnesota, that there was no other evangelical, Bible-preaching, gospel-centered church at all. So that pain drove Molly and I and the leadership of that church, the membership on our knees, and we cried out to God for mercy. With humility and with surrender and with hope in His goodness, yet submission to Him for His will, We did it as a couple, we did it as a group, and we did it individually, and we did it continually. Or, 10 years later, when placed in a different ministry, for me, leadership of a floundering university and Christian ministry that had been my childhood home, all the memories and background of spiritual growth was loaded into this place that I was now at. I was nurtured in. Now the leader of a ministry with dozens of families whose homes and jobs were tied into the ministry that I was leading, students who desired to be at school and finish their four-year program, a community that deeply desired to see a large and beautiful campus and students continue to flourish and grow, and yet it appeared that all was lost, that closure was inevitable, unless God did a miracle, that the painful, what to me was unthinkable, was becoming an actual painful reality. And I remember the emotional pains in my own heart of anxiety and fear, sadness, anger, frustration, along with that never-ending feeling that's just not, it's just not going to go away and it's not going to go well. And it drove me to my knees. No, literally on my face, in the back of my office, After another stressful meeting, crying, unto you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. 
Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Psalm 25. Or preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I lamented that as I prayed to God with deep cries of heartfelt pain-riddled utterances for mercy, for grace, for deliverance, for help, for salvation. Have you done that? Are you doing that? Have you been placed in a situation? Maybe it's one of those things that I just mentioned at the beginning, that list to cry out to him in a new way. You see, we live in a world that requires lament. We live in a painful world. So we need to cry out to God for mercy. Lament is a form of prayer which just cries out to God for mercy. About a third of the Psalms are like that. And it cries out to God persistently. It is usually accompanied, as I said earlier, with questions. God, how long? Why are you doing this? What is going on? When are you going to bring relief? And you see, the Bible shows us that lament is not just a form of complaining about God, but complaining to God with ultimate trust, submission, and hope in that God. The record of the laments in this book that is are to instruct us, including Habakkuk, are meant for us to start on our knees realistically and maybe on our face and with tears, agonizing in pain. And the end result is that chapter 3 of Habakkuk of submissive praise to God with joy. Now, I want to get there when I'm in pain. I think you do too. I want to get there when I'm in a painful situation. I want to be in a place where I'm joyful in praise, praising of God. But how do you get there? And the book of Habakkuk gives us a glimpse of a struggling godly man trying to understand what God is doing. And he matures in his faith, his trust in God. So at the end of the road, he is praising God. Habakkuk is, it's called a minor prophet book. It's a minor prophet, not because it's not important and a major book is important. It's a minor prophet is a smaller book. There's a bunch of smaller ones you have in the Old Testament. It was written around B.C. 610. So about 610 years before Jesus was born, in a very wicked time when Jerusalem was becoming a very wicked city with wicked kings, even though they had been promised the law and the grace and the power and the covenants of God. And it was only going to be about 25 years or so before that city, Jerusalem, would be destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. Habakkuk lived and served as a prophet in Judah during this time. And I said last week that you could divide Habakkuk into five sections or headings. Here's five sections. First, Habakkuk asked God, why? Why is there no justice, God? Why is there no justice for the godly? He is crying out to God. And then secondly, we hear God answering, oh, I am listening, and I'm about to send justice. 
in the form of the Babylonians who are going to judge and bring justice. And then section three, Habakkuk says something like this. Um, With all due respect, God, the Babylonians, they're worse than us. God, your answer to prayer is unacceptable. And then in section four, God responds again to Habakkuk and says, trust me, I will judge them. And I have a glorious plan that my people will walk by steadfast faith or trust in the midst of these hard times. And my plan, if if you could understand it, you'd have goosebumps. You would be amazed by what I'm going to do. And he gives us a glimpse of that. Finally, at the the last chapter, chapter 3, in the fifth section, Habakkuk responds with a prayer to God, with praise to God and remembrance of his mercy, and a submission to him, a submission of trust and joy. So I asked this question last week. I don't know if you caught this. Somebody did, and they pointed it out to me. And that is, how do we move from lament on your knees to praise to God? How do we move from agony and pain to the lament and to joyful praise? And here's the answer that Habakkuk gives. Steadfast trust. Just, I want you to ponder that. God has called called us on the pathway of steadfast trust. Think of it as a pathway. It's it's a place you walk, and you're going to walk it for a long time. And there are missteps, but there are certain steps that are really important that you make sure you get on because they are steady footing. And it's the steady footing of steadfast trust. The word steadfast means continuous, enduring, not giving up persisting and persevering. And trust means a reliance and a belief and a confidence in something. God intends for you and I praise, to pain to praise through steadfast trust. But that can sound very churchy. Yeah, I know I'm supposed to have faith. And in fact, verse 4, God says to Habakkuk in chapter four or chapter two, verse four, he says, Behold, his, that's the wicked, his soul is puffed up. It's bloated with arrogance and self-trust. It is not upright with him. But the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. God's promises to us are in our future and their great and our confidence in that reality and goodness is something that we need so desperately. So how do we move on the pathway of steadfast trust? So today and next Sunday, I want to give you eight ideas that I that make up this pathway of steadfast trust. <coughs> Molly, can you hand me that water bottle? Oh, thanks. Eight ideas 
that should move us on the pathway that I see in this book. Now, when I say ideas, I don't mean let's have an idea box and let's hear some ideas of how you might do it. What I mean by ideas is these are concepts that come out in the text that I think are the secrets that, that actually are that, that multi-dimensioned steadfast trust that, boy, you and I, whether you are a young teen or an older teen, whether you are married or single, whether you're dealing with deep brokenness right now or you will in the future, each one of us need. And so here are the things that I want to bring to us. I want to make this clear. Let's, if you hear this, hear this clearly. The, path from pay, the pathway from pain to praise is steadfast trust. And here are eight ideas to help us understand that pathway of steadfast trust. And they are this. And you can have, you see them on the back of your bulletin, the back of your notes here. It's lament and listen and wait and remember and hope and humble and submit and praise. And you do it together and you do it by yourself. You do it as a couple. You do it as a church. You do it when you gather together. You cry together. You do it in your small group, but you also do it on your own knees by yourself or in the car. And you don't stop doing it. These aren't eight steps as though you finish one and you move to the next and you're done with one. It's rinse and repeat. It's keep going. It is help me, oh God. Okay, let's go through them. We're going to just go through four. Lament. I've already mentioned that, but I I, want to just park on that for a minute. You and I are called to lament. I'll remind you because that's not a word we often use, but we need to use it. It's, it's a term that's it's so clear in the Bible. Lament is the crying out to God for mercy, usually because we are in a destitute place in some way. And we cry out to God and we say, God, help, have mercy. It could be that you're a teen here this morning and you're having such a hard time understanding your parents. And for you, it's You want to obey, and and it just seems like your parents see the worst in you because they bring the worst in you. It just feels like that, and yet you know they want God, and you want God, and so you get on your knees and you say, oh God, help me. I need you to help overpower my attitude and give me understanding of them and help them to have understanding of me and God. Please work. Lamenting is a crying out to God, and the pathway to praise From pain to realize that when Jesus was teaching his disciples, he gave a parable, it says, to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. The point, and then he gives an example of someone crying for justice because they didn't have justice. That's pain. And yet they were to. He taught them to lament and to cry out to God continually. This kind of crying out to God is meant to be the natural response of pain-filled Christians. We we learn these words. In your wrath, God, remember mercy. Or have mercy, O God. I need you. I need your compassion. I need you to come near to me. I need you to lift me up out out of what feels like the pit. 
You might feel that in your marriage. You might feel that with your finances. You might feel that with your health, your past, your present, or what you think is going to be your future. We cry out and lament to God. Look at verse 1 and 2 of chapter 1. O Lord, I love the sound of turning Bible pages. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? What do you learn from that? You learn that Habakkuk was crying out to God repeatedly for help. Or cry to you violence and you'll not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you just idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. Tell you what, we should drive through Flint and lament. We should watch the news and lament. We should look at ourselves in the mirror and see our own sins and still lament and cry out to God, oh God, have mercy on me. Grow me, help me, forgive me of my sins. And here Habakkuk sees a wickedness. What's going on? The wickedness of God's people in Jerusalem are so bad. And the godly few are being treated badly. And he's saying, God, why are you just idly? You're just passive. And you're letting it happen. Why? Why? Help, help, help. God's people learned to do that. The David did. He was in a cave. Are you in a cave today? Do you just feel, I mean, can you think of a, I got to run to a cave and I got to stay in the cave because everybody, every, I, all my enemies are against me. Psalm 142, David was in a cave and it says this. Here's a lament. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint to him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints with me, you know my way in, my, in the path where I walk. There are hidden trap for me. Look to the right and see there is none who take notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. Brother and sister, will you, if you're in, your, in the state of this pain, will you go to God today? And will you pour out all your heart? Be honest with him how you feel lonely and desperate and unheard. That's what Habakkuk did. That's what David does. Describe to God what you know God already knows, but he wants you to cry out to him for help. Pour out all your burdens upon the Lord. There are so many instances of lament, like Psalm 6 where the David says, O oh Lord, rebuke me not in your anger. Don't discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, for I am languishing. I don't even have the definition for languishing, but that doesn't sound good. Heal me, O oh Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul is greatly troubled for you, O oh Lord. How long, God? I'm weary with moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. Oh, we had, we had a Wednesday night prayer time, and we asked for prayer requests that we're going to just pray repeatedly for, that God would do a mighty work in. And Kara said, pray for those that have mental illnesses in our community and in our church. 
those that struggle with depression and suicidal thoughts and tendencies and all, all it's a spectrum in so many different ways. Oh God, would you please come and work and break through and bring comfort and help. There are so many ways we need to lament. So the pathway of moving from pain to praise to God needs to start with lament. And it keeps, we keep lamenting and we don't stop lamenting. We keep crying out to God for mercy, honestly, before the Lord. Number two, we listen. We listen. The pathway of steadfast trust that takes us from pain to praise includes listening to God. Habakkuk cries out to God for help and then with questions. And God, and what does the prophet do? He listens. He'll end this book with praise. In chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, in part because he listened to God. And he took what God said to him and he took it to heart. He listened to God's revelation, his revealing of a message, a vision, and he learned more of the way of God and God's plan. Brothers and sisters, when we are suffering and when we are in going from pain to praise, we're on the pathway of steadfast trust. An act of steadfast trust is to say, help me, God. That's number one. But two, it says, I'm listening. God, what are you teaching me? A question each one of us should ask in our prolonged pain is, God, what is it that I need to hear that I'm not hearing? Do I have wax in my ears so I'm not listening spiritually to the message that you are crying out to me in my pain? Half of the first two chapters of this book are God is God talking and Habakkuk listening to God. God saying, I'm going to send the Babylonians to judge, and then I will judge the Babylonians, and I'm going to, and then I am going to do a work. Verse 14 of chapter 2. The knowledge of the glory of God will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. Listen to me, I have a plan. Listen to me, you need to grow, but my righteous will walk by faith. They will show my faithfulness by trust, not I, but through Christ in me. And did you catch the words when it says that Jesus will lead us through that valley, dark valley? He does, so that we'll learn steadfast trust. Habakkuk listens to God, and God says to him, I'm doing a work, chapter. Two, or actually in chapter one, I'm doing a work, Habakkuk, listen, you wouldn't even believe it, but I'm doing a work, I'm not done, and he hears, he listens, and hears God saying, the wicked are coming, they're going to triumph, but they have their idols that they trust in, and they're completely vain, and I'm in my holy temple, let all earth keep silent, I'm going to take care of all these things, listen to me. He listened to God his promises, and the revealing of his person. You see, steadfast trust, that pathway, happens in a relationship. You can't trust God unless you have a relationship with God, unless you grow in him. And how do you grow in relationship as you talk to him and you listen to him? You get to know him? How can you trust that which you don't know? And so you need to listen to him. And the way we primarily listen to him is through this book. That's why we are Bible people. 
Bible thumpers. We need to go to God's word. We need to love God's word. We want to meditate on God's word and memorize God's word. And we need to read his promises. Here's a Bible reading plan that's out on the table out there if you don't have it, the Thanksgiving daily devotions where you'll read five to 10 verses every morning this month on Thanksgiving to God and you'll read Habakkuk and take those verses and learn and listen to the nature of God to feed you in your pain. I love what Paul Miller says in The Praying Life. He said, if God is sovereign, then he's in control of all the details of my life. If he's loving, then he's going to be shaping all those details of my life for my good. We believe that Romans 8, 28, he works all things for good. And if he's all wise, then he's not going to do everything because I don't know all that I need. And so I'm going to ask him for things, and he's not going to give them to me because he knows what I need, and I'm not asking what I truly need. But when we put all these things, and, and if he, God is patient, and by the way, God is, then he's going to take time to do all of this. And when we put all these things together, God's sovereignty and love and wisdom and patience, we have a divine story that he's writing and working in our lives. And we need to stop and listen to what God is writing in our lives. He's writing a drama to show his glory and to grow our faith on this pathway of steadfast trust. You can't have a good story without tension and conflict, without things going wrong. Unanswered prayer that causes us to keep praying and seeking him is part of the tensions in the story that God is weaving in our lives in order that we would grow to know him. Because I've had so many of you tell me it's in the answers to prayer that were no or wait that I got to know him and I would never trade them because now I know God and I believe him and I trust him like never before. So we listen because we lament and listen. And then third, we wait. We wait. You see, the pathway of steadfast trust includes waiting on the Lord. How many of you are really good at patience? I didn't get a lot of hands raised because you're really afraid to raise your hands. Look at Habakkuk 2.3. Here's God's answer to Habakkuk in the midst of all this chaos and pain. For still the vision away to still waiting its appointed time, if it hastens, meaning if it takes time, if it, it hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. Here, there, that's a great word to write and put in your Bible if you struggle with patience. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Okay, so it feels like it's a delay. It's a matter, it's a way of talking. It's coming. In Habakkuk 3.16, at the very end, when he gets ready to praise God, Habakkuk says, I hear and my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound. Second half of the verse, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon my people who invade me. He's learning to wait on the Lord. The promises of he's going to praise God for his salvation, but the salvation is not here yet. And so in the meantime, I wait upon the Lord to renew my strength. Patience is a critical part of faith. When the writer to the Hebrews writes to the early church and says, you're going through pain and yet you need to praise God. You're being persecuted for your faith. 
he quotes Habakkuk. And in Hebrews 10, he says, don't throw away your confidence, young church. You're, you're believing in the right one, Jesus. And yes, there's persecution, there's pain that you need to lament. But there's great reward for you have need to endure. That's weight. And patiently hope in God, endure and wait upon God so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what is promised for yet a little while and the coming one will not come and will not delay. That's Habakkuk language. But my righteous one shall live by faith. My righteous one shall live by faith. We need to learn to cry with Psalm 62, for God alone my soul waits. In silence, from him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. I shall not be greatly shaken. Or Psalm 37, 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in the way, over the one who carries out evil devices. Or Psalm 40, psalmist says, I waited patiently. For the Lord, he inclined to me and heard me. He drew me out of the pit of destruction and set me, my feet, from the miry bog to a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to my God. You see, the pathway of steadfast trust is going to require you to cry out to God, lamenting and to listening to God and waiting upon him. It may, you may need to hear that if it, Seems slow, wait for it, but wait upon the Lord, for he who waits on the Lord, Isaiah 40 says, he will renew his strength. And that's why we need to wait while we listen and cry out to the Lord. For instances where God brought works in my life that I had to wait upon the Lord. Here's the last one we're going to look at this morning. It is to remember. You want to know the pathway of steadfast trust from pain to praise is remembering. The pa- Habakkuk remembers or recalls the mind, to his mind the past deeds of the Lord. That's what we're going to do on Tuesday night before Thanksgiving, Ebenezer. We're going to remember the works of God. We're going to, we're going to recall them. We're going to declare them. We're going to give thanks to God what he has done in the past. Because you see, the thing, God's track record of working in our lives is fuel for our faith. So that we remember, he did that in my life. He always comes through. He is always faithful. Habakkuk recalls the promises of God. He remembers what God has said. God is promising this. And he says, I will fix my mind. I wonder if he heard God say in verse 14 of chapter 2, my, my, my salvation is coming and that I'm going to bring glory to the entire earth. And I wonder if he went, I don't know how it's going to happen, but God is the one who brings life from the dead. He makes things visible that, from the invisible. I'm just going to trust in him. He's going to do it. And I'm going to just remember he did that. And if you were to go to chapter 3 and work through chapter 3, it's, Starting in verse 3, he lists God. He starts to declare what God did. God came from Taman, which is probably over near Egypt, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. 
He's remembering when God brought his people from Egypt slavery, and he delivered them through the Red Sea, and he delivered them through the Jordan River, and he delivered them against enemies and through pestilence, and he judged their enemies, all of them. He took care of them. He did all these miracles, and he's remembering all the works of God. Please do that. Please take note of what God has done in your history. And if you need somebody to walk with you, and frankly, we all need that help, to help people walk together with them and show them and point them out. But look to the way God has worked in your life. But secondly, also, most importantly, look to the way God has revealed himself in this book and has done the works of God and say, God is faithful to Abraham. He'll be faithful to me because I have the same faith as Abraham. That's amazing. But it's true. God's word says it in Romans. Do you remember the deeds of the Lord in your own life? If you're a Christian, did he not redeem you from a wrecked life? Did he not bring you out of darkness into light? So if he did that, isn't he going to care for you and not spare any good thing? And what are the instances in your life that God has brought salvation to you? I brought those two personal stories in my life because I saw clear works of salvation in my life. I saw God in one instance provide a building in a way that we didn't see happening. In that church, God saved it and worked and has been working in that community through Grace Church for years now because of His grace. I'm not going to, because of time, spend time there, but I would just point you to Psalm 77 as an example of a lamenting Asaph. That was his name, Asaph. And he is, he is down in the dumps in pain in the first nine verses. And then verse 13 to the end, he's praising God like crazy. Big attitude change, pain to praise. And right smack dab in the middle, he says, I will remember the works of the Lord, the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I meditate on your, all your mighty deeds. May we be a people that we, we walk that steadfast trust, remembering, remember, don't forget, Daniel. Let's tell each other. Let's be a people, a church that says, remember, Mike, the works of the Lord. Russ, remember what he's done in your life. Jason, remember what he's done. Alicia, remember what he's done. Remember, Angie, remember. I'm not picking on any of you. I'm calling all of us to do that. So next week, we're going to look at, and he hoped, and he humbled himself. And he submitted to the Lord, and he praised the Lord. All eight of those things could be summed up in steadfast trust. They're all vital in our lives, and we do them together, and we do them by ourselves, and we keep doing them, and we don't give up doing them. Five years ago, when I was facing a season of great waiting and pain, as I described at the beginning, I entered a prolonged season of lamenting, and the season ended late in or early in the summer of 2014, and it brought the best possible news that I could imagine, but it went through some of the most suspenseful time of anxiety of what I thought was going to be horrible. And in fact, a year later, the horrible that I thought was horrible happened, and I look back and I go, it wasn't that horrible. God was at work. God grew me in my faith, and I look back and I go, thank you, God. I needed that brokenness. I needed that desperation. I needed that pain and anxiety and fear. I needed the lamenting and waiting and listening. I needed to learn that your good defines my life 
And I don't always have an idea what good is in the short term. And I got to trust you. I've talked a lot about pain. And I want to end with this. If you're here, I want you to hear this no matter who you are. The greatest pain that all of us face is the pain of our guilt and sin that stands between us and a holy God. In fact, it takes God's grace and help for us to even understand that this is our greatest pain or our greatest burden that we face. You know, we pray that you'd, you'd feel that burden. We cannot know God as a father who hears our cries. We don't have a father that hears our cries this way that I've been talking about all along. And will care for us until he first removes a burden that we have, and that's our sin and guilt. And this sin and guilt is our rebellion because of what we put ourselves first, even putting ourselves before him. And this burden must be removed. For, the, for this burden to be removed, we need to make, be made aware of it in our hearts. And we need to acknowledge that none of us are qualified and we are unable to remove our burden on our own. And the good news of Jesus Christ is that God sent his son to take on this burden of sin, guilt, and punishment for us. That he, and he lived a perfect life and he died on a cross, though he was not guilty, but he did it as though he was guilty. The punishment he paid was for all who would but lament and cry out to him for mercy and ask him to remove that guilt on that day on the cross 2,000 years ago. Psalm 55 says, cast your burdens on the Lord and he will sustain you. That is true. If you are here today and you have the burden of sin and guilt, you cast it on the Lord and he will save you. And if you are lamenting the pain as a child of God, cast your burden on the Lord and he will not forget you. He will have mercy. Oh, let's, get, let's pray.